Welcome to the Rainbow Room. Our podcast about writing, representation, and gay stuff. This is season one, episode 11, Heartstopper. Oh my god. Oh my god. Twinks. You heard about the twinks. Ladies, ladies, silence. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. <laughs> and today we are here with four other guests because there's so much excitement for this show. Everyone can't stop talking about it. That's right, we're talking about Heartstopper today. How about I'm going to have everyone introduce themselves in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so much work. Uh, I, I'm Adrian. I am a queer high school computer science teacher for one more week and an improv down here in Austin, Texas. Hey. I'm Carrie L. I, I, um, I'm a queer improv teacher here in Austin, Texas. I do a lot of art things and Car- play D&D. Carrie was my first improv teacher at the Hideout Theater, which is really cool. I'm Richie Armani, and I am just a classically gay 90s person from Seattle who does stand-up comedy. <laughs> and you may remember him from a previous episode. Our I'm first repeat guest. <laughs> hey. I love classically gay. Um, I am Shannon. I live in Atlanta, and I'm a creative strategist who also does improv. Hey! Yes. This is awesome. So we have people from Seattle, New York, Austin, and Atlanta all here. This is awesome. First of all, everyone's been talking about this. I haven't, I haven't seen like a gay piece of work have this much buzz in maybe forever. I mean, I loved it. It made my little heart so warm. I, I couldn't stop smiling from it and crying, but also smiling. Yeah, I'd seen, I'd seen all the trailers, and I just happened to be flying the day after it like premiered. So I was like, I'm just gonna download it so I can watch it the entire plane. And I'm pretty sure the the woman sitting next to me was wondering why I was in tears. Most to the flight so and then i watched it again on the flight back so i love this thing i was like completely oblivious knew nothing about it and was like i'm just gonna try watching an episode of this random thing recommended to me on netflix like 11 at night watched the entire series did not sleep oh my god (laughs) ended up reading the next two graphic novels all within a 36 hour period i lost my entire mind i fell in love with it so hard and i just got so excited for like younger generations having this media for them. Like it just like, oh, it really, really got me pumped. Yeah, I second that. I like, I had no idea what it was. The only reason I knew about it was because of TikTok. Like people kept being like, this show is so sad. And I'm like, what is this like sad, sad thing that I need to see? So I was like, I'm not going to watch it. I'm like, I'm not really in the mood to be sad. And then I was just like, oh, maybe I'll just like watch one episode. And I watched the whole thing in one day. And I never binge watched TV shows yeah I and same second that Shannon too like I was just like you know I get why this is like, like sad for like maybe older millennials and I don't know what generation is before us but I'm glad that it exists for that younger generation uh, Shannon can I ask uh, how how are the graphic novels oh my god love 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 you absolutely need to dive in super quick reads and I think definitely obviously like watching before I read informed my view of like like characters and what was happening um you definitely get more in depth with like feel like some of the like other characters other than just like the two kind of protagonists in the series as opposed to the graphic novels but yeah you gotta do it you gotta do it for sure cool so i made the bold choice to not watch it because i wanted to go in blind for this podcast episode eric what was your 
how did you come into contact with this show? I think I started experiencing media about Heartstopper, the show, <laughs> um, <laughs> through TikTok, and it just got big. And then I think I logged on to I logged on to Netflix.com, and it was like the number one stream show in the U.S. at that moment. That is incredible. The number yeah. one stream show in the U.S. Like, like during and- that week, they do it like during like the week of or something. Not that. Don't be dramatic. <laughs> no, no, no. But still, like for a piece of gay media, I mean, I feel like one thing I've been experiencing with this podcast is I've had so many straight friends tell me like, "Hey, I want to listen to your podcast, but I haven't seen anything that y'all are reviewing." And it's just been so eye-opening to how limited the audience for gay pieces of media can be or have been because like straight people, at least in the past, didn't feel like it was their place to watch it or consume it. I guess, which is so funny because we are constantly watching movies about straight people in reverse it's like it's been mind-blowing and eye-opening so i'm so glad that either something's changing or this is just that good that this was able to achieve such a high viewership that's incredible that's my big like pet peeve with media in general is that queer queer content has been so niche and directed just at a queer audience or or somehow that's only people and uh, I, I really want mainstream media to be even more queer, right? I am so curious as to like what's going to make this so good because it, it's funny because this isn't that long after Young Royals came out. And like a lot of people were saying a lot of nice things about Young Royals, but Young Royals did not achieve nearly the amount of buzz this is getting. I've just, and like my friends who aren't normally into like big media pieces have been talking about this too, like outside of my circles. It's just like everywhere. It's, I guess it's, I have a theory. That, I'm excited. Well, I was going to say, do you think that that has anything to do with like when you Young Royals came out with TikTok what it is today. Ooh. I feel like a little bit because Young Royals was kind of like last summer. And so I feel like TikTok was huge, but I feel even that just shows the growth of TikTok now that like even in the past year, TikTok is even a bigger app like than it was a year ago because it really started getting big like at the very beginning of the pandemic and it's grown mm-hmm. exponentially. Let's also not forget Americans hate reading guys and uh, you're talking about a show with subtitles versus like a show without them. Uh, I do think that that legitimately makes a big difference. And also the way everyone who watched it, uh, including I didn't mention this, but I also, as soon as I started watching it, I did not stop until I was done. It is incredibly consumable. It's really, it's very um, easy to keep going, right? It, It draws you in and keeps you there. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it's as popular as it is. I think another thing that that has helped Heartstopper is just it's in a very kind of accessible kind of situation. So like I'm a high school teacher. So Young Royals was kind of this elevated. It's very it, it wasn't as relatable because it's it's a young royal. It's someone who like we don't necessarily identify with every single day. But like we've all been to high school. We've all dealt with kind of these things. And so it's a little more accessible to us. I have a class of seniors who for some reason are like 50% queer students uh and just kind of the way that they reacted to it like the day i got back from vacation my students were like mr prado have you seen this show and i was like do you know me yes i have Uh, and so like just the buzz that they have because like it's it's such an accessible kind of story to them this is something that they deal with every single day and that they've they've seen every single day and I think that's really helped a lot as well especially for kind of that younger generation that's so cool yeah I I definitely feel that there was like an immediate like connection to like 
back to high school for me when I watched this. I was like, oh no, I never had a Nick. I had that other punk ass dude. That's what I had. No one came to rescue me. <laughs> I feel like that's... I have no trauma. Um <laughs> I feel like that's part of the main discourse that I first experienced with the show is that I was first introduced to it as being this popular gay show. And immediately all the TikToks I was getting for it was about how there's a large group of gay people who can't watch the show because it makes them really upset because it makes them think about how they didn't have that in high school. And that was such an interesting lens to have in the back of my brain as I was watching it. I think it's really interesting, like the melancholy that accompanies watching this. It's like this like very like happy, hopeful feeling. And also for me, it wasn't even just like, oh, not getting to live it. But it was also, oh, man, like what I would have given to have this piece of media when I was like figuring out I was queer. Like it would have been life changing watching Nick's like journey. I was like <laughs> 3 a.m. like sobbing in my bed when he takes that quiz. It's like 62% gay. I was like, yes. And sorry, Andrew, spoilers. Oh, yeah. It's- sorry. No, don't worry. I, I went into this realizing like, oh, I'm going to be okay with spoilers. Like, feel free to spoil the entire series because that's, yeah. <laughs> they both so die. Would be every other piece of gay media ever before, Eric. So Hashtag Adam Silvera. <laughs> Who, by the way, I learned Adam Silvera listened to an episode of our pod, which is amazing. Was it Aaron's? Yeah. Ah, uh, so nice. Ah. Oh, well, so my question to you, Eric, was like, did you get sad watching? <sighs> I got sad for Charlie because you really watched Charlie go through it. But if I was thinking about it in regards to my own experience in high school, and I was thinking about this a lot and just how I was such a little goblin in high school and I was so (laughs) if I had dated someone in high school I probably would have traumatized them in some kind of way with my own trauma because I was such a not formed human (laughs) and I still had a fun time in high school like regardless so like it's not a factor of me like wanting to redo it with like dating someone but like I totally understand like the people who were upset by it because that's like that's such a huge like experience that you see depicted in media is like high school sweethearts getting married and it's like we don't really get we don't really see like high high school sweethearts who are gay like that's not that's such a heteronormative straight south thing in my opinion yeah as someone who was out in high school in the late 80s early 90s whoa uh, you were out in high school i did not know that brave braver than the u.s marines i was the only queer person i knew in my high school well the only queer guy the thing i remember resenting the most was that everyone was getting all this practice dating and I couldn't. Yeah. I was like, this is so, I mean, I still had friends. I still had a good time. I had a good group and stuff. And like, it wasn't like this horrible experience in other ways, but I, that whole section of, of what I considered the high school experience. Of course, now I realize that there's a lot of straight people who didn't have that either. They didn't get to date anyone in high school either. So it's not like I have a, a monopoly on that experience or that queer people have a monopoly in that experience, but it is still something we didn't even have a chance at for most of us at all. And it's that that's that is a source of melancholy watching something like this for sure. Also, like Shannon, I I agree. I wish this had existed back then because I feel like it's it is so hopeful that I wish I had been able to see any anything, even like Will and Grace was like a godsend back in the day, right? Like Ellen and Will and Grace were like the early things that were even at all out there that had any queerness to them that were not so niche that they were hidden away in a dark corner somewhere. 
And so like something like this would have been like explosively groundbreaking. Yeah, I just remember consuming like every piece of media that I could that was even slightly queer and they were all so depressing. Mm -hmm. It was like nothing with any positivity. Everyone like ended up killing themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. Dying of AIDS. (laughs) A lot of dying of AIDS back then. Like... Just like you're like, okay, what is Canvas have a happy ending? Is it possible? And like, of course it is. But I do think it's like important to watch sometimes this stuff. And instead of being like, oh, what could have been really just like live in the fantasy of it and like enjoy it for what it is, you know, and that we are like watching a TV show. Like, yeah, yeah I also like, I watch Lord of the Rings. But I'm never going to have that experience, <laughs> but I can still enjoy it, you know? Um, I, think, I think, Shannon, to your point though, like I also felt like, yeah, rather than living in this like, oh, what could have been? For me, it was more just like, what can be? I felt really inspired afterwards. I was like, oh, like, yes, I didn't get the coming of age story. I didn't get the like coming out story like I didn't get any of those things but I did but I still have the like becoming who I could be story and it's like Mm. who knows who's going to be my Nick Nelson I guess I don't know why I assume I'm I think I'm I think I'm the one with the big ears yeah that's one of the things that I loved about the show because I I did experience a little bit of that melancholy that we've talked about but I also there were so many lessons that I felt like I could apply to my own life like I don't know I've always struggled in like all of my relationships with communication because I've never really had like a clear kind of example of what communication in a queer relationship looks like. But these are high school students who communicate better than most of the 20 to 30 year olds that I know. I totally what? agree. Obviously, it is an idealized world in some ways because it's 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 really hard to truly suspend disbelief that teenagers could be this mature and communicate this clearly, but I love that it exists to like model how to do that. And it's so beautiful how they, there's still like a lot of teen angst thrown in there, but they still mod, they get through it and they, they, they talk about their feelings and they figure it out. It's so good. Adrian, I'd be so curious to know your perspective. I was a high school teacher for a few years and I was really surprised in that, like, um, so many kids were openly queer. So many kids were like having these experiences, living this life in like a fairly healthy way. And it was always interesting to me because these kids would like bully the shit out of each other online about all this stuff, but never like any like hate speech about being queer. Like if someone called somebody else like gay in my class in like a you know negative way, everyone jumped on them. Um, and I think it was like interesting to me to see this like generation coming up that's just so like passionate about you know embracing everyone's sexualities and not using that as like a condemning thing. And I'm I don't know if that's been your experience as well. It I mean it's definitely been interesting because like like I said one of my classes this year for some reason it's about 50% queer students and we talk about anything like ever nothing is off limits like they tell they come to me with all their boy and girl problems as like whatever they're they're just so you're, you're right they're so open I I went to a Catholic high school so like I was so deep in the closet like it wasn't even funny mm-hmm. um, but nowadays it's been such a weird kind of juxtaposition to my experience even the students who who I know have a little bit more of a conservative bend to their politics they are totally 
fine with talking about queer issues. They're respectful of pronouns. They're respectful of each other's identities. And they're willing to learn. And they're willing to try and understand each other if it's something that they don't understand. The hardest part for me as a teacher has been seeing the adults in the room. Because I do unfortunately have experience with other teachers on campus who refuse to use kind of students' pronouns. Who talk about kind of... Teachers? The teachers are refusing? It is Texas. It's Texas. Uh. It's the adults in the room in terms of politics, in terms of everything that have a problem with this. And the kids these days don't. The kids, even though they grow up in these with parents who, who are homophobic, with parents who are transphobic, they're willing to at least try and understand and recognize the humanity in each other. And it's the adults that can't. And so it's this weird, like it's it frustrates me. And I'm actually, so this is my last year as a teacher. And part of it is kind of that juxtaposition. It's hard to reconcile sometimes. I related to Nick so much. I definitely didn't just like know my sexuality. You know, I went through much more of like a discovery process. And I don't really feel like that's represented all that often. Like I really felt like he was kind of a revolutionary character in that sense of like walking that line, figuring things out. And I also love like, I, I felt it was so realistic that he just fell in love with someone. And that's how he discovered he was queer. Like it was just a really organic way. Yeah, oh. it is very that, Eric. It's very that. It's, it's so, so like, oh, oh it's so oh. sweet. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, Eric melted. You sent chills up my spine when you said that. I haven't even seen it yet. I will say Red, White, and Royal Blue does a good job of like showing a character who's like wait what's happening i think if anything though like if it is shown that struggle of like discovery is shown it's always it's never shown in such a good light in the way that it was in this show it's always like some kind of deep trauma it's like a hard struggle there's some kind of toxic masculinity involved there's some kind of violence involved and it's like that's not necessary or 100 of the story but it always is like this is your defining arc right now. I really like that that was not mm. how this one went. It was very sweet. It was very soft. And there was some fireworks on the hands. It was really- yeah, the space you got to discover that in was so supportive in general. Like there were some microaggressions and stuff like that. But in general, most of the people in his life were really open to that and cool with it as he figured it out, which was great. I felt like his sister was... She was really real with him. Yeah. In a very I- snarky way, but really real. Relatable in her own way too and how she's protective in her little snide persona. We have not addressed a really important factor which is Olivia Coleman in this series. That's right? gay. That's gay yeah. and camp. <laughs> I could not, will not, cannot the queen, the queen was in this. Adored. Alright, so Richie unfortunately won't be able to join us for our post-episode watch talk. So Richie, is there anything additional that you wanted to say that you haven't had a chance to go One thing that I noticed after watching the show is that it was not overly sexualized, which I was really, really happy about. Like, it was nice that this is consumable for all ages and it's like relatable at all ages. I also just like, to me, as much as I hate to say this, this very much was like fantasy, in my opinion, because like nothing is the seamless. This is like a really great place to strive to for young queer people. I think that this is like a great, like, we want to build this world for the next generation, just like millennials 
millennials who are like, okay, we want to see more gay rights. We now have that in Gen Z and they can like live their life a little bit more easier than like millennials are. I hope that Gen Z sees this and they're like, I want this for the next generation. But I do want to ask you, Richie. So you're actually in a writer's room right now, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a whole podcast about like having enough gay people in the writer's room. Do you do you get a chance to write storylines or or make content that is gay related? Is that something you want or do you feel like you're so dedicated to the mission of Asian American representation right now that that can take a back seat? What's kind of your your thought there? I was really big on intersectionality in this writer's room. I was like, yeah, like I'm Asian American, but I'm also a gay person. And I think I've struggled more as a gay person than I have as like an Asian American. So I wanted that to be uh, to come across. And then there's this one was like always writing me as like this, like very overly gay person. And I'm like, that's not really what I am. So like every character that I wrote out was like a little bit based on like me and like being gay and stuff. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, What I think is cool is that this is actually real life evidence of the value of having a gay man in your writer's room if you're writing gay content. You were able to actually see in real time people writing it, getting it in a way that was either wrong or just like maybe overdone or just not authentic to your experience. And you were able to be like, hey, here's a, a better way of approaching this that would represent me and my gay experience better. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I definitely am big on that. All right, guys. I can't wait to watch these twinks fall in love. Have so much fun, everyone. I'm sorry that I couldn't be here in the later half. Bye, you. Bye. At this point, we watched the first episode of Heartstopper. Which, by the way, do you guys know if you Google Heartstopper, all the little, like, leaves flutter on Google? (gasps) What? Yeah. Charlie is an openly gay high school student in a secret and rocky relationship with a closeted student, Ben. Their all-boys school announces new homeroom arrangements, and Charlie finds himself sitting next to Nick, an older rugby student. The two have immediate chemistry. Charlie decides to break up with Ben over text after Ben pretends to not know him in the hallway and makes out with a girl. Nick invites Charlie to join the rugby team, so he does and starts practicing with them. Charlie's friend Tao warns Charlie about falling for straight men. Meanwhile, their trans friend Elle is starting her first year at the all-girls school. One day after rugby practice, Ben finds and confronts Charlie. Charlie goes off on Ben, citing all the ways he's been mistreated, and Ben responds by trying to force a kiss on Charlie. Nick, who has come to check on Charlie, saves the day by pulling Ben off Charlie. At home, Charlie agonizes over the perfect way to text Nick thank you, and the episode ends with him finally sending thank you X. And we're back! Woo! So Andrew, we are all waiting to hear your hot. You're, you, this yeah. is your first time watching yeah. it. We have all, we're all veterans. We've like we've. You're the virgin who just got their heartstopper cherry popped. How did it feel? <laughs> I loved it. It was really cool. It moves really fast, which is which is what I really like. It's like oh, he's already on the rugby team. He's already practicing. I really loved. It already made me cry. Which it's like we. It's a pretty short episode with credits. It's a half an hour, twenty seven minutes or something. Yeah, it went by like that. There's some really satisfying moments, like seeing him finally go off on his this guy he's broken up with and just like boom 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 saying all the things that you want you're right it's like oh it feels it's so satisfying because we so often don't communicate that well in our lives because we're afraid to to like see someone do that and being like these are all the things that i'm upset about i have boundaries and you've crossed them like that's why it's so satisfying to see and he was so kind about he was like very firm and and real but he wasn't mean or spiteful about it he was like this is why this sucked for me yeah. and it was so clear i was like and, you it's know all and, the things i wish i could say to some people totally. so and i'm just like i couldn't yeah i just can't believe he's like 
able to thought that though at 15 years old because I have definitely been with people that you feel they somehow guilt you for being upset with them even though they're the toxic one and like the whole closeted thing it's a whole level right and the fact that he was able to be like at 15 actually see what was happening and not be like fooled by this guy is pretty amazing can we talk about the unique struggle of being into someone or having relationship struggles with someone who's in the closet because this is something we haven't discussed on the pod before and I haven't really talked about it much but it's like when you have a crush on someone and you can't tell anyone because you'd be violating their big secret and you're one of the only people that knows they're gay that is so hard two of my biggest crushes were on guys who like whether they were being nice to me or not I just couldn't talk about it to like to anyone who knew them well strap in baby because there's more to come (laughs) spoilers (laughs) <laughs> how was it for y'all well I some of you have already watched the series a couple times but for those who this was their second time watching the first episode after having watched the entire series how was that was it like oh, I, I mean I, it was, like I was crying right from the beginning pretty much I just <laughs> cried the whole time and especially the, the parts where I was really supposed to cry I definitely cried like and I just you know like there's just so many it's just so satisfying and so wish fulfilling when Nick comes in like is a f-ing hero it's so magical and you're just like swoon <laughs> You know, that's like, what I cried how- when he saved him. That's what I cried. <laughs> I yeah, I, watching a second time for me, I'm like, oh, I think I'm gonna even enjoy this more because I think the first time I watched this, I was really just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, well, it's coming. He's gonna break his heart or something. Like something terrible is about to happen. The love is what I felt like yes, like love every every where everything's gonna go to shit. <laughs> Everything, yes. everyone's gonna turn against him, and it's just his life is going to be full despair yes yes and like it never happens like yeah there's complexities there's hard things there's terrible things that happen but ultimately it just gets better and better and better and it's like knowing that there's a happy ending oh it's good good stuff yes this might be jumping ahead but that was one of my favorite things about the series and andrew kind of pointed out a little bit about how it moves quickly but what i loved is i've seen so many of these these shows or movies that the whole plot is just like we're dealing with this he's in the closet but he doesn't want to come out of the closet when's he going to come out of the closet and they just drag it out for so long but they just don't do that in this show they make it move quickly they point out what the issue is they point out this dichotomy of like he's not really sure who he is yet does he want to come out of the closet does he not but then they resolve it so quickly because and it just feels so satisfying it just feels so nice and just like the conversations that he can have with the people around him it just like that's what I loved about this show was it wasn't trying to like play with because I get it that whole kind of like tension is great for TV but also when we spend so much time talking about that tension and like forcing this tension in relationships in a lot of ways it forces us as queer people to kind of believe that our relationships have to have that tension that there has to be some level of like complication Mm -hmm. but it doesn't and that's what I love about this show absolutely i would go i mean i would say that's just relationships in general honestly represented in like film and television is the idea of like if it's toxic it's hot you know and it means there's passion and like 
that you need that quote spark. And this is a great example of like, no, that spark can be from that super nice guy you say hi to in your class. Like, it doesn't have to be this horrible thing. Especially in teen things. This is why before starting the show, I had my qualms with it just because I... The young adult genre is so much, the concept of it is like dumbing something down just so like the younger generation, younger audience can understand it. And so with this show, I was like, oh, they're going to like dumb down things and it's going to create such this disparity between like the good side and the bad side. And like, it's going to be so simple and there's going to be no nuance. But I felt like they still like were able to make things simple and easy for us to follow by doing like a quick, like making it really like fast paced and easy to follow. But like, they still explored so much nuance in every single relationship. Like not even like in gay representation, we also get trans representation and so many other like, yeah, I was so, so many other realms. That. I had no idea that there was such a strong trans representation in this show. That was really cool. Oh, and there's also lesbians. Talking. There's yeah. like, we, yeah, we have haven't not even, even the like, touched, no, yeah, we haven't <laughs> even like, there's so much that uh, this would have to be like a 20 part series to really talk about all the like wonderful representation. Yeah, the lesbians, they're great. Oh they're great God, characters. I really love them. One thing I think is interesting is I've already made a couple parallels of this to Red, White, and Royal Blue, where we talk about how this show might suffer from a little bit of wishful fulfillment uh maybe suffer isn't the right word because i think we actually really dig that but in terms of rating its authenticity it's like it's clearly more on the side of like wouldn't it be cool if life was like this it's definitely a purified idealized situation no one is as pure as charlie and nick are as like they are just pure little angels and that is great i love that about them but are they real not really well and 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 sometimes that can feel minimizing of the gay experience when and like you've experienced the real thing and you're seeing something painted as rosy, but somehow we're not feeling that. It sounds like we're more on the, so either that there's enough elements of it that are real or do speak to the actual struggle. I or, feel like the emotional beats are so good and real and true that it outweighs the fact that they've kind of created uh, heightened characters. Yeah, and I think we also appreciate it airing on the side of too positive because of all the barrier gay tropes that we've seen. As things continue, there is like very serious subject matter dealt with. And I really think this is just like looking at things with rose colored glasses. Like I don't necessarily think you can say that this is like impossible and this isn't reality. I think it's just if you're looking at that glass all the way full, bad things do happen like inarguably in this series. It's just we don't dwell on them or celebrate them the way we are the like happy things that are happening. And I actually think in a lot of ways, it's a healthy way Mm. to Mm. look at Mm. life. I love that. So another parallel with Red, White, and Royal Blue is that this was written by someone who is not a gay man, Alice Oseman. And it's actually a cool story. It sounds like she started with a webcomic, it got a cult following, and then she made a graphic novel because of that. And then that was doing so well that she was approached to then write this. And then the director, uh, I think his name is pronounced Euros Lin. He is married to Craig Hughes, who I wasn't able to find a photo of Craig Hughes, but assuming Craig is a man, uh, Euros is queer, which is awesome. He's also really like renowned and successful. He also has directed Doctor Who, Sherlock, Black Mirror, and Daredevil. Like what a freaking resume this guy has. So definitely gay people very involved in the making of this, which is cool. And then cast is really interesting. The uh, the um, writer Osman wanted actual young people. Yeah, they did an that's open. That's one of the ca- things I love about it. 
Yeah. Unlike right. every CW show, it's not 30 year olds playing teenagers. It's people who are actually teenagers. They might be a little older than their characters ages, but not a significant gap. And it does help like feel immersed in this and it helps it feel more pure too. It's like, oh, these are actual young people. And the, the other thing that's cool is that Joe Locke, who plays Charlie, he's only 17 years old and, but he's openly gay and he's like talked about that. And like to be that young and be able to be that publicly open and out of the closet and discuss being gay. It's like, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And then they had a <laughs> 10,000 people auditioned. It was an open cast call and because uh, i imagine in part because of pandemic these auditions were over zoom which is wild i really wish we could watch those auditions yeah it'd be really cool oh my god i'll put in a request <laughs> i wonder if they have them rec- they probably have them recorded yeah i'm sure they do I'll- whether they release them or not is a totally different story but i would love to see them it'd be so cool i mean i'm sure they're so young too because mm. you know obviously they're cast like a year prior to filming so oh my gosh little babies something that made me sad which the actor who plays Nick has already had to deal with people trying to like define his sexuality and tell him things and had to like kind of clap back and I do think that's like a consistent problem I feel like in in all types of queer media is yeah I love the idea of like someone who is gay playing a gay character but that's not what always happens and especially when it's like kids like this to try to force any sort of sexuality on them is really like gross and I think it's really strange no it's all done by like adults too which makes that much weirder at the end of the day if you can buy it and if it's done sensitively and Mm -hmm. responsibly then it's acting (laughs) (laughs) he did it well and it he made me understand and believe that story and that is not always true of straight actors playing gay characters (laughs) so many times where i'm like don't buy it i'm just not (laughs) just it doesn't feel right nick pretty much comes out right away homie like figures his shit out and then it's like no i want i want to be public i want people to know we're together and yeah that is is amazing in the dream but I, I that is definitely a rarity and I just think it is such a in a lot of ways I'm sure not fully unique but it is uniquely queer to like have someone tell you like I love you I'm in love with you but also can you please hide in the bathroom like during <laughs> this thing like my aunt's gonna be here or whatever you know like it's like a very weird juxtaposition yeah can you just say you're my roommate at my grandmother's birthday party yeah um yeah, and there's uh, another thing that stood out to me that's tangentially related to this is the, the notion of closeted identities because Elle is a trans woman. And, you know, it's only, it, we don't go into great detail in the series about it, but she has transferred to this all girls school because of trauma she apparently experienced at this, the old, the school that the rest of them go to, that she used to go to. And so there is a certain degree of closetedness around her character because. Uh, she's not fully out as a trans woman at her new school. And also when she returns to interact with some of the students at the old school, she is uh, again kind of shielding her identity in some ways. And when they don't recognize her from bef- from before, she's glad about it, which I totally get. But like there's it's very these things about identity and, and, and information are complicated. And I like that the show presents that. I do. I, I also like it's, so easy to hate Ben and yeah like it sucks and he's terrible but also like I would argue is maybe the most realistic character in this in in a sense 
because LOL. Um, I mean, like, I, I feel like probably most of us have had a Ben. And that's probably why we hate him so much to begin with. We don't even want to try to empathize with him because like, we have dealt with that kind of bullshit before. And it's just really, it's interesting, though, in that, like, I do think, especially rewatching it this time, I do think that actor does a pretty decent job of like conveying like also hurt. He's clearly taking out his own like upset at himself and you know internalized homophobia at Charlie and I in my mind this watch through is like I wonder what his family life is like. Yeah what he's doing is terrible but he's also 15 years old and going through a really insane thing and he also what witnessed Charlie get bullied the whole year previously so like I don't know. There's a lot of layers there. Like when he asks him literally, what more do you want from me? It's, it's the, the subtext of that is that how can you ask anything more of me? This is the most I can do. I'm literally incapable of going any further than this. Please let me have this, which of mm. course isn't a reasonable request, but also you can, you can hear where he's coming from. He feels trapped. One of the things we don't often see that we saw with his story arc, with Ben's arc, was we very rarely see see those people get called out. Mm. Uh, I'd be interested to see in kind of a further season how that changes his perspective. Adrian, I think it was you that brought up that the locker room scenes aren't sexualized. There's so much media where like the way they communicate that the character is queer is they have locker room scenes and you see their eyes darting around and it's like this big erotic thing, which <sighs> my experience in like junior high and high school locker rooms was not erotic. <laughs> so it's good or to like see that. Like, tackling, or like when he was tackling Nick during the rugby the one-on-one rugby practice that was definitely a scene that could easily have gone into some some flirty territory but it really didn't it really was just him like being scared of tackling someone and like like freaking out about it and there wasn't like oh i'm touching his belly now we're so used to seeing queer media where like it's almost hypersexualized. but in this show it's been stripped away i saw some discussions of just like is that a good or a bad thing because like it's different and so it's focusing on a different part of the queer experience but at the same time in a certain way it is stripping away a very real part of the queer experience as well. I think it's a, a case of watching this. I went, aw, I didn't go, ooh, you know? And I, I sometimes I like to just, aw. And I think yeah. that it's, um, it's even though, like, I think it's also like, y'all, they're 15. Do you know what I mean? Like, literally, they're, they're, literally. They're, they're, yeah, we want to be in that awe zone with 15 year olds. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Like the most we ever see is some kissing and some cuddling, which I don't know. I love kissing and cuddling. So I was just like, yes, this is adorable. Yeah, we don't want to be shamed out of our raunchy kinky sides but this isn't the i think this was an appropriate place to leave that elsewhere the first time that nick and charlie sit next to each other in first form there's just like this really cinematic lineup that squares them it points out that it's going to be like a very poignant moment and it's really beautiful it makes it really cute so i really liked a lot of the choices they made the animations and the and the the set design sometimes give it almost like a fairy tale feel which i think is kind of appropriate the tiny little animations the fact that like there's all these beautiful bright block colors everywhere and then the art rooms a swirl of color like just all these little details i think are so sweet it really should have been called heart warmer not heart stopper oh yeah, why is it why is it a euphemism for death the title <laughs> blue and yellow like it's it's there the whole time to represent their relationship there i think it's i think nick is blue and charlie's yellow oh my god we haven't even talked about the rainbows throughout this oh my god 
there's so many light rainbows. Like, I mean, it's extremely, speaking of overtly gay, it is just so like, bangs you over the head with it, but I'm here for it. (laughs) I was going to talk about the soundtrack and how, and I was going to say, one, the soundtrack, banger, it's banger after banger after banger. But we're getting into like sort of details and something that I recently noticed on this rewatch is that at the end of the first episode, they play the song called Don't Delete the Kisses by Wolf Alice. It's truly one of the greatest songs ever made. But um, the whole thing of that song is like, there's like in the chorus, they talk about like, don't delete the kisses at the end. And at the very end, everyone sort of had a reaction to this in our chat, but Charlie sends a text to Nick with an X at the very end. All leading up to it, he was like, deciding, like, oh, what should I say? What should I say? So, like, that whole song, like, don't delete because of the end, had such another layer of detail to that scene. So now I'm like, I gotta rewatch this and analyze every song they play and so, see, like, why they chose this. You can't see it, listeners, but we all just had a physical shocked reaction. We were all just, like, backed up in our chairs, like, what? And that's it, chills down my spine. Because oh my there's God. a whole section of him thinking of text, deleting text, thinking of text, and that is the text he decided on with a little X, and he didn't delete the kiss, so it was so apropos. Because most of our listeners have probably watched the entire season, what are some, like, key moments or something that really resonates with you just like full season. Yeah. I've been waiting for this because I've got one and it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. Uh, it's the scene between Nick and Imogen. Uh, and one of the things I loved about, and I might be the only person who feels this way, but one of the things I loved about that is in all of these stories, the storyline we always get is he hasn't come out of the closet. There's a girl who's in love with him. He leads her on along with the guy that he who has a crush on him. So he's just leading everyone, all, like leading them on. And he sits down and she, she she like tells him he she likes him and he's stuck in this like I mean that's another great Olivia Coleman scene where he's talking to his mom about like what do I do this girl likes me but I don't like her her dog just died I don't we're supposed to go on a date tomorrow but I don't want to like lead her on and he sits down and has a fuck he sits down and has a talk with her he sits down and just talks with her and he doesn't even come out to her he just has the decency to be like look I know you like me I think you're great but this just isn't gonna happen and like that conversation could have avoided so much trauma in so many queer movies up to this point and like it's a short scene it's like five ten minutes tops but i it was i just i love that scene so much that the scene between like nick and his mother if i'm remembering correctly like them grabbing hands and like the like level of like them crying was not in the script but she was like so moved by his performance and it became like such an insane moment and it is like one of the most oh my god I could watch that scene on repeat and it's wild because I was reading something about like the actor who plays Nick said that's what he was nervous for right it's like I mean like Olivia everyone else all these young kids getting together to like they're mostly just up and coming but I mean that's like one of the great right and to think about filming a scene and she was so impressed with him and I just that level of acting is just so stunning and you just uh, mentioning that scene, my t- 
my eyes started watering. Like, it's such a great scene. Like, I just got all like, uh, it's yeah, why I I've watched that last episode so many times. So many times. Want to talk about like wish fulfillment too and like fantasy and stuff? It's like, it's literally like when, um, now I'm going to get emotional, but it's like what you think about like the dream of like coming out to a parent would be where she's like supportive, but not in a weird way. Not in it. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. There's one scene when Nick's leaving Charlie's house and like hugs him all of a sudden in uh, the hallway. And oh my God, it's everything. Um, <laughs> the drum scene era, like just like basically, all right, any any Nick and Charlie moment, all right, when it's just the two of them, I die. And I really want to say I, I they had um like an intimacy consultant for this. And that, whoever that was, give them so much like a raise upon a raise upon a raise. I mean, I read an interview where they were like, yeah, we're best friends now. That's my best mate. Like they're just best friends. I think that they really did connect on a real level, even if they're not romantically involved, they are intimately connected. It just felt like that, that was the whole cast. Like, felt. I saw a TikTok the other day that was Charlie and Ben, like the actors playing them, just like goofing off and being ridiculous. And it was the most adorable thing in the world. That chemistry just across the cast was amazing. Let's go into final thoughts. I just absolutely loved this everything about it just I think for me the biggest thing that I took away was the way it uses teenagers in a way that still like affects me as a queer man like the way that the the way they interact with each other the way they interact with the world even though I'm no longer in that position I can still take away some lessons from the things that they do and the things that they say so I think for me I love it because it has lessons that apply to queer people of all ages and I just think it's an amazing show and I'm so glad it exists. Aww. I really like it. Thank you guys so much for showing me this show. I'm mostly just jazzed to have something that's doing so well. The fact that it's been able to get so much viewership as a queer movie makes me really excited and I like that it's fun. I like that it's fast paced and I like that it has like a really strong team behind it. I mean, I don't know if you, you didn't mention this, but it's got a 100% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 98% audience score. It doesn't really get better than that. It's That's incredible. Very well received. For me, I felt like this actually like healed some trauma. <laughs> for me like wow wow like it really healed like little cracks in my heart at times and i am really really grateful and glad this exists for all the little carryalls out there that are just figuring themselves out like i really i wish that for myself like i wish we could take this and throw it back in 1986 and let it be then um but it that's not possible but i'm glad it exists now at least because i feel like it does model so many great things in so many ways that are just really heartwarming and pure and delightful and magical. Heartwarming, tender, slay, <laughs> sweet, twinks. <laughs> is this, I, is this an acrostic <laughs> po- poem? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's core, it's gay, and you gotta love it. But it also represents other communities, not just gay. Love that. The, I love this program. Next. <laughs> <laughs> this show is it's hot chocolate on a cold day all right <laughs> it's a watermelon slice on a hot summer day it is the tingles you get when someone plays with your hair it is a hug from your favorite person it's a sweet little puppy coming up for some little pets 
and a sweet little puppy kit. It's just so, it is warmth. And it is something that I think you can sit and analyze, but you also don't have to. You can just consume it and enjoy it. And I think we need a lot more of this. I can't recommend it enough. I think if you are queer, you will love this. I think if you are straight, you will love this. I think if you're a tiny little mouse living in your little tiny mouse house, you will love this. <laughs> for that, that is our predominantly our listeners is that demographic. Don't call me out like that. Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> But I do, I want that. I agree with Shannon. I think there needs to be more optimistic, positive queer media out there. Like there's, uh, for me, like one of my favorite authors is Becky Chambers. She writes really optimistic queer sci-fi and it's, her books are like hugs. Shannon, Adrian, Cariel, thank you so much for being here. Do you guys have anything you want to promote? I'm assistant directing uh, a show called American Brass at the uh, Hideout Theater for every Saturday from now through June. It's an improvised form of the TV show Succession. Rich people doing stupid stuff. I'm just going to say, take improv classes, y'all. It's so fun. It's so fun. If you're scared of it, just do it anyway. It'll be less scary and you'll have so much fun. You'll make friends and you'll have a great time. I am not going to promote anything because I used my full legal name here and I love my job. So I'm going to keep my social medias very separate. But I do just want to say on maybe a more serious note, there's so much happening right now. And if you are listening to this, please get involved politically this summer. Please stand up for women. Please stand up for people of color and like make change, stand up for equity and safety and just existence as a whole. Everyone, everyone should feel safe to exist. And I truly believe we can create an America and a world that is safe for all. We just have to really work for it. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for this review of Heartstopper. Swing. Heartstopper. Good night, everyone. Charlie.